Hello, and welcome to Meet the Sip. I'm your host, Jonathan Smith. In this episode, we'll talk about Casey's Loves, Hoodoo Engines, and the way legends Casey are made. Jones, I mounted to the cabin. Casey Jones, with his orders in his hand. Casey Jones, mounted to the cabin, and he took his farewell trip to that promised land. Casey Jones' fame may have faded a little bit over the past hundred-plus years and many different versions of the story of his death have found their way into song. Ranging from the original ballad, sung by a friend of Casey's, Wallace Sanders, an engine wiper in Canton, Mississippi, to later versions up to and including The Grateful Dead that completely rewrite the story. So before we get into Casey's loves, we should touch on the truth behind the legend. Some details still aren't known or have been obscured by history, For example, whether or not Casey and the fireman with him that night, Sim Webbs, had worked on another train earlier that evening or earlier the previous day, and whether they'd gotten enough sleep, the exact details of Casey's death, and a few other things. But here's what's known. Casey left Memphis, Tennessee. He was driving engine number 382. This was not his normal engine. He was filling in for another engineer who'd gotten sick. For a variety of reasons, including switching his whistle from his train, from his engine, number 384, to the 382, the train got a very late start, uh, possibly as much as 40 minutes. Casey was known as someone who kept the trains on time. He had a light load that night, only six passenger cars, and the 300 series of engines, 384 and 382, were very powerful for their day. And it seems Casey set out to make out make up the lost time. While he did like to be on time, he doesn't seem to have been any more careless or reckless than any other engineer. The journey started out well. They were able to make up a good bit of the time along the way. However, as they approached Vaughn, Mississippi, unknown to Casey and Sim, there was a problem ahead. Two trains had met at Vaughn earlier. One of them had been had pulled off into a siding, but it was a little bit too long to completely clear the tracks. So the trains had had to do maneuver where the train on the main track would pull forward. The train on the siding would then pull forward as well, putting it behind the train on the main line. This would clear the tracks, allow the train on the main line to continue on. However, on this night, The train sitting on the second set of tracks had had several mechanical problems, and this had caused the cars sitting on the main line to lock up, and so the tracks couldn't be cleared. There's some doubt as to the veracity of the official reports, because events seem to have been confused, and witness accounts don't entirely correlate. It seems likely that a warning was sent ahead to the station up the line north, but Casey had already passed through at that point. The flagman at the station in Vaughan had gone up about 300 yards up the tracks and set out torpedoes. Now, torpedoes are basically firecrackers. When the train runs over them, they make a really loud explosion, and that lets the engineer and fireman know something's wrong. Something's wrong on the tracks ahead. It was a very foggy night. It's very possible that Casey and the engineer weren't able to see the flagman. By the time the first torpedo exploded... Um, and they realized what had happened. It was too late to stop the train. The train was probably doing 70 miles an hour at that point. Casey locked the brakes, 
told Sim to jump. In a monograph on Casey Jones and the wreck at Vaughn, Bruce Gurner notes that once the engineer had locked the brakes, reversed the throttle, and dumped the sandboxes, that was basically all he could do, and there was nothing more to be done in the cab normally. Um, he notes several aspects of Casey's character that it seems likely he decided to stay in the cab uh, just in case something went wrong, just to do everything he could because he did have because he did have a train load of passengers behind that engine. Some estimates say the train had probably slowed to 40 or 50 miles an hour by the time it hit the first caboose. In the wreck, Casey's engine, the number 382, left the tracks and plowed into a dirt bank to the side. There are reports that the imprint, the headlight, the wheels, were still visible in that bank 10 years later. It hit so hard. Now, there are several versions of Casey's death. He did die at Vaughn. In some versions, he was scalded to death by steam. In some, uh, a bolt had pierced his neck and he bled out or pierced his head. Some accounts say that a, a wooden splinter from one of the cars had entered the cab of the locomotive and gone through Casey's neck. In some accounts, he was dead by the time they found him. In others, he was put on a gurney and died in this depot. Either way... He gave his life in the wreck to try to save everybody on board, and he was successful. Uh, there were no major injuries, a few minor injuries such as sprains, and that's it. The wreck was given quite a bit more media coverage. There happened to be a reporter who'd recently left one of the newspapers in Memphis on board, and he wrote up a story and sent it to the Commercial Appeal in Memphis and also to... Uh, a newspaper in New Orleans, which both ran stories of Casey's death. This was an era where train wrecks in which engineers were killed might get a sentence or two. And in addition, a song was written about Casey. Now, like I said in the introduction, the original version of the song was written by an engine wiper named Wallace Saunders. It spread up and down the railroad line. Eventually, it spread to vaudeville. Various versions came out. One version implies that Casey Jones' wife was unfaithful because it has a line that says, uh, where she says to the children, don't worry, you've got another papa on the Frisco line. It's worth noting that she never remarried, wore, wore black virtually the rest of her life, and there's no evidence she was actually unfaithful. That was just a line entered in the song. So that's how the legend of Casey Jones spread. But what I wanted to talk about is Casey Jones Loves. Now, Casey loved his wife very much and his family. He worked very hard to stay close to him. Moved to Water Valley, Mississippi for a while, because that's really where the headquarters of that section of line was. But he missed Jackson, Tennessee. That's where he'd been born. That's where his wife was from. So they did end up moving back to Jackson, and he would basically hop on a train in Jackson, come down to Water Valley. So he had a pretty good commute. He did all this, like I said, for his family. But his family wasn't the only love in Casey Jones' life. Uh, it was probably fair to say that second only to his family was his love of engines. Casey started out as a fireman, worked his way up to engineer. In 1893, Casey met the engine that was to become his constant companion until he moved to a different line to take the passenger route. 
1893, it was the St. Louis World's Fair, and the Illinois Central Railroad had been tasked with bringing passengers to and from the fairgrounds. Casey had volunteered to be one of the engineers on the line. It would give him a chance to run passenger trains, which was the high-prestige job of the day. I've read some accounts that say his wife wanted to. It was basically a vacation for them. They went up and spent the summer at the World's Fair. Of course, he worked, but there were off times. They were able to see the city. It was sort of a paid vacation. At the World's Fair, the Illinois Central had number 638 on display. It was one of the most modern and powerful engines of its day, a 280 consolidation class. Casey applied for and was given the task of driving the 638 from St. Louis back down to Jackson, Tennessee, where it'd be based. So not only had he found this engine that he just loved, it was going to be based in his hometown. At that time, engineers bid on engines, and as their seniority improved, basically they would be permanently assigned an engine. And eventually, Casey got the 638. The 638 made runs from Jackson, Tennessee to Water Valley, and he ran it continuously up until February 1900. Engineer Hatfield had transferred from Memphis back to Water Valley, and this had opened up a place on the the passenger line from Chicago to New Orleans. It was a called a cannonball run. In the parlance of the day, that was just a fast train. And it was a four-train run. They'd transfer trains in Memphis and Canton. So Casey took over the Memphis to Canton run. He took over Hatfield's engine, number 384. There are photos of Casey pulling the 638 out of the shop with a new paint job. There was a photographer in Water Valley who specialized in taking pictures. Engineers were very proud of their engines. When they had them, a new paint job or an especially important occasion, they'd have him come set up at a certain point where he had a good view and take a picture of the train. 638 was Casey's first engine that he was the senior engineer and basically it was his engine. He operated it for years. It became a well-known sight. He even had a special whistle made and mounted on it that was six thin tubes. The shortest one was half the length of the longest. They would sound together, and he had a very distinctive way of sounding it. Some people described like a whippoorwill. Others said it sounded like a Viking war raid. 638 was a freight engine. After Casey gave her up to move to passenger service, she continued on the Illinois Central until the 1920s, um, at which point she was transferred to the Mexican government. There's some evidence that she was operated well into the 1940s and was then likely scrapped. So number 638 does no longer no longer exist. And that's the unfortunate end of the 638. It, it is sad that it wasn't saved for a museum. I believe there is an engine on display in Jackson, Tennessee, that bears the number 638. It's the same type, but it's not actually the engine Casey drove. It's They found one of the same type, repainted it, and renumbered it. Moving up to engine 384 was a big step for Casey. You see, 384 was a passenger line. And like I said, that's a much more prestigious post. It meant more money. It meant he had better choice of runs. He was only operating this one passenger run. He even had this whistle transferred over to his new engine. And that's something interesting. I noted a little earlier that 
that whistle followed him everywhere he went. He'd have it transferred from engine to engine. I, I'm not sure how common this is, but it's an interesting footnote to Casey's story. Now, it's while he was operating 638 that he got his first brush with fame. According to Fred J. Lee in his book, Casey Jones, Epic of the American Railroad, which was published in 1939, in 1895, Jones was working on a train out of Water Valley when he noticed a small group of children dart in front of the train. Now, Casey was out on the side of the train. He'd left the cab and gone forward to oil the valves and check everything was okay. And the train had been slowed down, so he could safely do that. He yelled back to the engineer in the cabin that there was somebody on the tracks. The engineer applied brakes. It looked like the train wasn't going to be able to stop in time. So Casey ran down, braced himself on the cow catcher, reached out, and picked the child up as the train approached and kept them from being injured. So we've talked about the birth of a legend, the way the song spread and made Casey a legend. His first love of his train was the engine 638. There's one more thing to talk about. The engine he was driving that night, 382, this was the first and only time he would drive that particular engine. Like I said, it was heavily damaged in the wreck. It was um, hit the bank so hard it left an imprint that was visible for 10 years. But like Casey's legend, 382 lived on. It was pulled from the bank, put back on the rails, and brought back to Water Valley, Mississippi. Water Valley was one of the largest, if not the largest, Illinois Central Yard. It had a, a very large round table, numerous repair facilities, and basically they rebuilt the engine. Um, it came out of that shop looking like it was brand new and went back into service on the same run out of Memphis with Harry Norton as the engineer. The 382, though, became what they call a hoodoo engine, just a bad luck engine. You see, in 1903, a group of train wreckers threw a switch in Memphis and wired the signal light to the clear position. Norton was driving the 302. He went into the switch at high speed, hitting a row of boxcars and nearly demolishing the locomotive. Both of his legs were broken, and he was badly scalded. The commercial appeal actually reported that he was fatally wounded. His fireman, J.W. McDaniels, did die in, uh, as a result of the wreck. Norton did survive, though, and he went back to driving the 382. Then again, in September of 1905, the 382 turned over in the south yards. It was moving slowly. It just seems to have flipped over. Norton was uninjured in this one. And again, then, in 1912, the 382 was part of train number 25, which was following special orders and stopped for water near Kamundi, Illinois. Due to some sort of mix-up, the number 25 was rammed by the Panama Limited. The car at the rear of number 25 was an office car, which was a mostly wood uh, car. This particular one was carrying several prominent railroad men. Four were killed instantly, and four others suffered minor injuries. At that point, 382 had been numbered to engine 2012. It served for 37 years of service, and during this time it was renumbered as 212, 2012, and 5012. It's not uncommon for railroads to renumber the engines, and I've read conflicting accounts of the superstition. Some say that renumbering an engine is like renaming a boat. It's bad luck. Others say renumbering the engine is supposed to break the bad luck. In the case of good old number 382, nothing seems to have worked. So there you go. The stories of Casey Jones Loves the birth of his legend, and the hoodoo engine that killed him. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I'll be back with another Tale from Mississippi in the next Meet the Sip episode.
Show notes are available on the website at www.meetthesip.com. Come all you rounders if you want to hear A story about a brave engineer Casey Jones was a rounder's name On a 6-8 wheeler boy he won his fame The caller called Casey at a half past four Kissed his wife at the station door Mounted to the cabin with his orders in his hand And he took his farewell trip to that promised land Casey Jones mounted to the cabin Casey Jones with his orders in his hand Casey Jones Mounted to the cabin and he took his farewell trip to that promised land. Put in your water and shovel in your coal. Put your head out the window, watch the driver's roll. I'll run her till she leaves the rail. Cause I'm eight hours late with that western mail. He looked at his watch and the watch was slow. He looked at the water and the water was low. He turned to the fireman and he said, We are going to reach Frisco, but we'll all be dead. Casey Jones is going to reach Frisco. Casey Jones, but we'll all be dead. Casey Jones is going to reach Frisco. We're going to reach Frisco, but we'll all be dead. Casey pulled up that Reno Hill, suited for the crossing with an awful thrill. The switchman knew by the engine's moan that the man at the throttle was Casey Jones. He pulled up within two miles of the place. Number four stared him right in the face. He turned to the fireman and said, Boy, you better jump for the two locomotives that's a going to bump. Casey Jones, two locomotives. Casey Jones, that's a going to bump. Casey Jones, Casey said just before he died, there's two more roads that I'd like to ride. The fireman said, what can they be? He said, the Southern Pacific and the Santa Sea. Mrs. Jones sat on her bit of sign. Just received a message that Casey was dying. Said, go to bed, children, and hush your crying. Cause you got another pop on the Salt Lake line. Mrs. Casey Jones, got another pop on Mrs. Casey Jones on the Salt Lake line. Mrs. Casey Jones, got another pop on you, got another pop on the Salt Lake line.